today we are continuing on with our, uh, our, um, our study in Acts, where we are looking at the whole book of Acts, and in order to be able to do that within two weeks, we've had to actually look at three chapters at one time, <clears throat> which <clears throat> seems like a lot, and we can't get into every detail, but that's okay. We're, we're, taking, we're swooping in and we're taking information, trying to discover what was going on back then, because this was the beginning of the early church, and it was a move of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would give us the Holy Spirit, and it moved amongst the early church, and it just saw the, the, the followers of Jesus Christ just explode across the earth and see so many people start to join uh, this thing called Christianity. Now, we know that this book was written by a guy called Dr. Luke, well done. And Dr. Luke was the guy who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And many theologians believe that he actually was writing a legal document. Why? Because Paul had been imprisoned by the Romans. And so he had the, because he was a Roman citizen as well, he had the right to a quote unquote fair trial, whatever that meant back then. And so a man called Theophilus commissioned the writings of these books, which were basically cataloging all the things that Jesus did and cataloging all of what the early church did and specifically what Paul did. Now, if you notice when you're reading both of these books, you'll actually discover there is nothing bad said about any Roman ruler, Roman emperor, Roman guard, no Roman whatsoever. There is nothing bad said about them. And yet, some of the other gospels said these Romans killed Jesus. But there's nothing said bad about the Romans, which is more evidence for us to believe that this was probably a legal document in defense of Paul before the Roman courts. So where are we so far? We're up into chapter 19 this week. And in chapter 19, we're seeing the, the final stages of Paul's ministry as he has gone around Europe and, and Asia and Central Asia and all these different places. And, and again, he gets to the city where there's lots of preaching. And he's in uh, the this, this city of Ephesus again, where he is preaching the word of God again. And then there's lots of people getting saved. And there's miracles that follow all of these salvations. But again, once again, we're seeing opposition, where there are people who are seeing what Paul is doing. And there are opposing him, specifically the vendors of those who would sell idols or trinkets or statues of the goddess Artemis. Now, in that city, there was a big uh, temple. And so the goddess Artemis, who's the sister of Zeus, she was worshipped there because she also uh, was known as the, 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 the goddess who could actually bring fertility to your crops and to your bodies, etc. So she was worshipped, but there was a huge amount of industry that was built around her. And so what happened was, was Paul was seeing people become saved and they were giving their lives to Christ. They were giving up all their other gods. They were giving up their desire to worship uh, Artemis. They were giving up their desire to even buy into the whole industry there. And so there was a huge riot that, took about, took, uh, took, that happened and came about and, and, and they dragged him into this huge arena that could hold about 10,000 people and they were accusing him of, of, of destroying their city. And so now he's at this place where he's like, well, maybe I should just leave. Now, before we get into chapter 20, because chapter 20 is where there's going to be a pivot of what's happening in this whole book of Acts. There's a huge, significant change of what Paul is about to do in chapter 20. But before I jump into that, I want to just do a little kind of theological review, right? Just for you nerds out there who loves theology, who loves that kind of, okay, so we got lots of nerds in here. Okay, I'm at home. Wouldn't you, so, so the structure of the, of the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke is actually very similar to the book of Acts 
is, is laid out very, very similarly. It starts with Mother Mary at the beginning. Now, you would say, well, that doesn't, that's not true about Acts. It's more, mostly about the disciples and about Jesus saying, you know, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And then they get together and they receive the Holy Spirit. But right in the middle of that is actually Mother Mary. There's no reason why she'd be actually mentioned. But it makes sure that she is mentioned because she seems to be at the beginning of major things that happen. Why? It just is just true. That's what's happened in this structure here. Then it goes to the anointing by the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus being anointed by the Holy Spirit as he's being baptized. And then you see the disciples or the apostles in, in the book of Acts. And they have the Holy Spirit that comes down. And then it moves into preaching of the gospel where the gospel is preached to so many people and people are just getting saved left, right and center. And then there was always miracles and signs that were following. Every time there was a preaching of the gospel, you saw miracles and signs then following after that. And then right about the middle or so, it gets a very similar place where there is a lot of opposition from Jews. And two weeks ago, we talked about the seven types of oppositions that uh, Paul actually experienced himself. And then there's ever-widening circles of reach where it starts off in a very small place and then it goes from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. And it goes wider and wider and wider. And you can see this pattern happening in both of these books. And then you'll see that the story speeds up. It begins with going from one month to the next month to the next month. And then it's starts to go halfway through. It starts to go from one week to the next week to the next week. And then as it gets to the end of the gospel and as it gets to the end of the book of Acts, it's now going from day to day to day. It's speeding up as it's actually going through each of these books. And then of course, both of the protagonists who actually end up heading to Jerusalem. Jesus gets to a place where I can't remember what it's called, uh, but it's a place, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but he goes to this place where he asks, you know, who do you say I am? And you know, when Peter said, you're the, you're the son of God, uh, the son of the living God, at that point is when it says that he turned and he decided he's heading towards Jerusalem. Now, of course, heading towards Jerusalem, we all know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Jesus is about to get uh, 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 falsely accused and crucified. Well, Paul does the exact same thing. He has gone all around, the, all around the, the Middle East and all around or parts of Europe. And he gets to a place where he goes back to Ephesus and he decides, I must now go to Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to start picking things up. And of course, both Jesus and Paul went through an arrest and a false trial. Um, they both... They both as we were about to read in the rest of um, the book of Acts, we'll see that Paul will be arrested and he'll go through a false trial. Okay, what happens in chapter 20? What happens in chapter 20 is this. Paul sets his sights on Jerusalem. And as he's with his friends, he tells them, this is the last time you're going to see me. Why did he say that? Because he knew he was probably going to die. He knew some reason, he knew he was about to go to Jerusalem and he was going to be persecuted and he was going to be accused falsely and then he was actually going to die eventually. So there's lots of tears going on. They're like, please don't go, we want you to stay. But we're going to pick it up in chapter 21 where I see that there are two chances for Paul to delay his path to Jerusalem. Two chances for him to not go to Jerusalem. Um, and he explained these, these two chances not to go to Jerusalem. The first one is this, in Acts chapter 21, three to five, and it says this, we landed at Tyre. Okay, so he already was in Ephesus. He, he traveled to Kos, to Rhodes, to Patra, to Phoenicia, to Syria. And now he's landed at this place called Tyre. Tyre sorry. And he took all this long journey to get to Tyre. We landed at Tyre where a ship, to un, a ship was to unload its cargo. We saw 
We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. Now, why would they urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Well, we know this by the rest of the story. If you read the rest of the story, there's a lot of, he's actually going to go to a place that is a very dangerous place. There's a lot of political and religious hatred there. It's a dangerous place for Christians. It was dangerous for Jesus. That's where they killed Jesus. They're like, listen, don't go there. It's like your mother saying, don't go to this dangerous place. Stay away from there. Don't go down to that, that terror. Don't go around to the bar. Don't go hanging out with these friends that are selling drugs. Right, there's, there's always this someone who's going to give us a warning. Don't go to that place that is dangerous because they know all about it. But what I find, finish, what I find really fascinating in this, in this verse is it says that through the Spirit, they urged Paul. Now, how through the Spirit do you urge someone else, right? Do they just go, oh, I feel it in the Spirit right now. I just have this word of God. Just come to, you know, sometimes people will get into this weird type of spiritual language or the swing their crystals around or whatever. What did they do through the Spirit just trying to urge Paul? Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit gave them insight to what was about to happen. He gave them insight. Now, we've just read most of Acts this whole month and the last month. And we see, if you've been reading along with us, how much the Holy Spirit spoke to people, how he influenced people, how he directed people. And the Holy Spirit was a brand new thing that was happening in the early church because we hadn't seen the power of the Spirit move like this before. And they could see that, and, and, uh, that, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to these disciples, to these, those followers of Paul. And, they were saying, and the Holy Spirit was speaking to them going, Paul is going into a place of danger. Now, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. That's how old I am. And when I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, there was a move of the Spirit across the world where we saw churches and people start to embrace spiritual things. Up to that point, it was a very intellectual journey that the church had been on. We'd all been about theology and theology. But once you got to the 70s and the 80s, there was a move of the Spirit. In fact, we've got... um, we actually have a couple in our church. I don't, I don't think they're here today. They're usually here with us every week. The, the Strombeck Seniors. How many of you know the Strombeck Seniors? They were really a part of that move of the Spirit as well. And they went down to South America and they planted some of the largest churches in the world today are in South America. They're the ones who planted them. Because they believed that the Spirit spoke to them and said, go and take me to South America. But isn't the Holy Spirit there already? Yes, he is. But introduce the Holy Spirit to those people. And then they, years later, about 30 years ago, they, they decided to go to Ukraine, which was behind the Iron Curtain at that time. And they decided to help people to receive the power of the Spirit. And the churches over there have now exploded. There's about 100 churches they've now planted. That's their legacy. In fact, when I was a child, <clears throat> my parents actually received the Spirit themselves. And my parents grew up in the Church of Scotland, and that's a very kind of straight-laced, very theological, uh, uh, Presbyterian uh, style of church. And when they were down in London, they were <clears throat> missionaries down in London. <clears throat> Excuse me. And my dad heard about this guy who was praying for people to receive the Spirit. And my dad decided, well, what have I got to lose? I don't know if I believe in this stuff. Let me just go see what happens. So he went to this meeting and he went and the, 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 the gentleman called people forward if they'd like to receive the Holy Spirit. And my father said something changed inside of him. Something of the power of the Holy Spirit filled him up and he felt this overdeveloped joy within himself that he couldn't quite understand. So he got on his little scooter 
rode back to London, told my mum about it and said, you must come to this guy and be prayed for. And so my mum went and she got prayed and she said she got filled with the Spirit too. Now, if you don't believe in that type of stuff and you think that's only something that was in the New Testament, but it doesn't happen today, that's fine. I'm not trying to prove a point here. But for those who've experienced this, it's a very real thing. And so my dad and my mum actually, well, my dad got a dream one night and he saw a picture of a light over a city in Scotland. And so he went to his bosses and he said, is there, a, is there a store that we own up in Scotland? And they said, yes, there is. And he said, well, I'd like to be moved to, to, to Scotland, to this little town called Dundee. And they said, you don't want to go there. It's so dark and dreary. It's one of the worst cities in Dundee. Don't go there. And he said to them, but I think God has told me to go. And they said, okay. So they sent him there and that's where he planted his church. Now he was following the urge of the spirit. He was following the, the, uh, the spirit actually speaking to him. Now, how can he prove the spirit actually spoke to him? He can't prove it. All he can do is decide that this was true. And so he decided to follow what God had actually told him to do. Now, do you know how to hear when the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And if you don't know how to speak to the Holy Spirit, it's something I want to encourage you to practice and to learn. Now, how do you get to know a person? All you have to do is spend time with them and speak to them. Now, maybe you won't hear anything back, but if the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity of God, he is one of the persons, that are, 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 that one of the, the three of the person who's of God, then he is a person we can actually interact with. Many of us rely on just speaking to God the Father or we, we rely on just actually reading Scripture and that's all well and good. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a gift in order that we might be able to have a direct relationship with God himself, a direct conversation with God. Now, I'm not trying to get into anything weird here, but I think it's important that we learn how to speak with the Holy Spirit instead of all the other voices that we seem to hear in our, in our lives. Right? How many voices do we listen to? Political commentary, um, other counselors, other scripture teachers, uh, other things. That's wonderful. It's all well and good. But if I had told you what are the most important relationships in your life, and then I measured it against how much you actually invest in a conversation with those people, you might actually see that it's off. Oh no, God is at the top. Okay, well, how much do you have a conversation with God? Actually, I'm not speaking with God as much as I am watching Facebook or, or YouTube or some of like that. There's, there's evidence to show how much we are putting an effort into the relationships that we are saying are worthy and valuable to us and maybe they're not properly lined up. Okay, here's the second chance that Paul had. A second chance to avoid Jerusalem. In Acts 21, verses 10 to 12. After this is, he'd actually gone from Tyre and he traveled on to Ptolemy and then he ended up in this little city called Caesarea. And it says in Acts 21, 10 to 12, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied it around his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Here we are again, second time, different city, different group of people. Verse 11, we're seeing a prophetic word come. Why would God give this prophetic word of warning? Well, because it was actually going to happen. It's a, it's a true thing. We know by reading the rest of Acts that we see that he does get bound up and he does get taken from Jerusalem all the way back to Rome to be accused of crimes. Have you ever felt God speak to you and warn you of things? 
Now, maybe, maybe you haven't necessarily heard it necessarily in your head too much. Maybe it's very easy just to simply read the scriptures where we see the Ten Commandments or warnings, right? Don't do this or this bad stuff will happen. We see it in the book of Proverbs. God has spoken throughout history so much, but God can also speak directly to us. And it doesn't need to have to be some huge prophecy. It's a little bit like a check engine warning on your dashboard. Has anyone ever seen that check engine warning? Has anyone got the check engine warning on on your dashboard right now? Anyone? Anyone? And you drove your car to church, right? Right? And you're like, oh, I feel like a, all mechanics are just shocked. And, and uh, all normal people are like, ah, I got some time, right? I got some time. It's not, it's a warning. It's a suggestion. That's what it should be. Engine suggestion. That's what it should, that's what it should say in your engine. But, but then maybe you take it too far and your car breaks down. And you're like, well, I guess I should have paid attention to that light, right? It's these little warnings on our dashboard that are telling us, hey, something is coming ahead and maybe you should pay attention to this. In verse 12, it continues on. When we heard this, so when the people heard the prophecy, by the way, watch out, you're about to get taken, you're gonna be bound up, you're gonna be chained up, and you're probably gonna die. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. They pleaded with him, don't go. The second time that people were giving him advice not to go, was Paul just stubborn? Was he someone who was just ignoring these warnings to him of watch out what's about to come to you? And when I was a, a teenager, my father had actually invited a nun from America to come and speak in his church. And uh, she, was, she was actually a fascinating person, had an amazing story uh, to tell about her life and how she followed God. And so she got up, she was a very quiet speaker, that Jesus is here and let's just, let's just worship Jesus right now. She was a very quiet speaker, so you always had to lean in to try and listen to her. And then she said to my dad, turned to my dad, she said, I would like to pray for every person in this room right now. And my dad said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And she goes, yo, one by one, so you imagine this whole room right now, and I would be telling you all, I'm going to pray for you all one by one right now. That would take a long time. So my dad went, well, if anyone would like to stick around after the meeting, yeah, please just you know, stick around. And, and if you don't want to get prayer, that's fine. So, but most of the people actually stuck around and, and got prayer. I was one of them. And of course, you know, you're, you're chit-chattering with your friends there as, as you're waiting to be the next one that's going to be prayed for. So my dad got these two chairs and put them there. And so you know, she would, sit on, she would sit on one chair and then the person would come up and sit in the other chair. She'd take her hands and then she would just pray for them and she would say, Holy Spirit, give me a word for this person. Whether you believe that or not, it's up to you, but this is what we did. And so she said, now I'm going to have Reverend Stuart Brunton stand beside me who's actually going to give me accountability for everything I say. So if there's anything that I'm saying he doesn't agree with, he, he's got the, the permission to speak in and, and say what he wants. So, so anyway, I, I have a chance to go up and I, and I go there and I sit down and I'm thinking, oh, oh yeah, I got nothing to lose. So I'm sitting there and she goes, I see a picture of you driving and there's an angel in your, in your passenger seat and the angel is getting out of your car when you're speeding too much. And so I'm looking at her and my dad goes, whoop. And I'm like, because he had just told me not so long ago, if you don't stop driving fast, God's going to have to intervene and tell you to stop it. And I remember going, <laughs> and it really certainly shook me up, right? So I'm hearing this word and I'm hearing this warning. Should I have just ignored her like Paul did? Should I have just said, that sounds like a, lo a lovely word. Should I just ignore it? 
But Paul's answer was quite firm in verse 13 and 14. It says, then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What happened here? Listen, the people heard the word of God just as much as Paul had heard the word of God, but they had panicked about it. I wonder if our culture has a huge pain and grief avoidance issue. I wonder in the same way, if we're having the same problems as many of these early disciples did, where they didn't know how to handle when they saw pain ahead. We have trouble accepting pain. Even in our, in our day and age, we have these huge corporations of pharmaceutical companies and even alcohol and, and liquor companies that are promising a better life by helping you to be pain-free. We're not good at handling pain. And so when they're reading and they're, they're, they're hearing from the Holy Spirit that there's pain about to come in the future of Paul, they're saying, well, you should avoid it at all costs. But here's Paul saying, no, I shouldn't avoid it. I get it. Even when you watch, even when you watch uh, uh, commercials on TV right now, you'll see a car commercial, and it doesn't say, "Oh, it's got air conditioning. Oh, it's got it's, it can go fast. Oh, it's got good fuel economy." People don't pay attention to that anymore. What they do is they watch these beautiful people driving around the car with big smiles on their face, and what they're trying to imply is your life will be awesome, and it'll have so much joy inside of you if you just buy this car and you drive it around town, and there'll be no traffic in front of you whatsoever. They're selling us joy, right? They're selling us the idea that we'll have peace and we'll have happiness. Even in our Declaration of Independence, it literally says we have the right for the pursuit of happiness. And I wonder if we've translated it into the right to not actually have trouble or pain again right? I have my rights to not have to deal with trouble or pain in our lives, but this is not the promise of God. This is not the promise of the kingdom of God. Even sometimes I hear churches that will say this, that if you just come to Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I didn't. I became poorer, dumber, and, 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 well, sicker, right? You know, it's like, it's like the challenges that come your way. And I'm not saying that we can't be blessed and we can't be healthy, wealthy, or wise in the presence of God. If that's what God has chosen for you, God bless you. But if he's not chosen that for you, then we have to decide whether we actually agree with Jesus when he said in, um, where is it? Not there, it's another one. When it, when it says in a different place, he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Right? Because there are two responses to God's prophetic word. And the first one is this, that the people panicked. In Acts 21, 12, it says, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go. They pleaded with him. But Paul is saying, I'm ready to do this. Our culture has this huge desire to avoid grief and pain just in the same way that they did back then. But John in 1520, uh, sorry, Jesus in 1520 said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If we're truly Christians and we believe that we're following Jesus Christ, we have to accept the fact that persecution and suffering is a part of the way of Christ. We just had Pastor William here last week, one of my father's disciples from India. And he's planted over 125 to 130 churches over in India. And I was speaking with him not so long ago, and he was telling me that one of his churches in the north part of India, where they planted a new church, 
where there are no Christians in that area, the local other religions hate it so much that on Christmas Day for three years in a row, they decided to pay someone to kill the pastor every year. They went through three pastors. And so I said, Pastor William, what, what are you going, how do you find more pastors that want to go to that village anymore? And he goes, I don't know. He said, God just keeps sending me more people who say, send me somewhere. Send me, and they're like, well, there is a place where we've lost three pastors. And uh, the, you know, the, the benefits are you're in the kingdom of God. The risk is you might actually not be in the kingdom of earth anymore soon after this. And so I said, well, what, what, those people are still, you've got people who are still trying to go to that place to be a pastor? And he said, yes. And I said, what are you advising them? And he said, just rely on the Holy Spirit and don't be there on Christmas Day. <laughs> and I'm like, there's a wise man. There's a wise man. And it's amazing the stories that come out when you hear it from other Christians who are truly being persecuted. And we look at ourselves and wonder, I'm being persecuted when my air conditioning doesn't work. How do we receive bad news? Do we avoid it? Do we have a panic? Do we shut down? Do we go into pleading prayers? Or are we like Jesus and tell God, I don't want this, but your will be done, not mine, is what Jesus said. The second thing, the second way that we can respond to God's word is like Paul, where Paul prepared. If the people panicked, Paul prepared. In Acts chapter 19, so we're going back to Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It says, after all of this, remember I told you at the beginning when he was in Ephesus and he had seen so many people come to Christ and then it started to affect the Artemis business model and the worship of Artemis and then they started, they drug him into a huge temple and they were going to kill him. And after all of this happened, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you read it in your translation, some translations say that Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. No, the original words are Paul purposed in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, these are odd words. How do you purpose in your spirit? Well, God told him of the same impending hardships that were actually going to come his way. But he heard a calling, not a caution. He didn't hear a warning of, don't go there. He heard a calling, go to this place because I need you to go there. But God, why should I go? I don't know. God didn't give him an answer. He just said, go to that place. And in Acts chapter 20, verses 23, the next chapter, I only know, this is Paul speaking, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He was in constant conversation with the Holy Spirit that whatever he was walking into, the Holy Spirit is saying, you've got it. You've got what it takes. Don't worry about it. I've got your back. Sometimes a prediction is not a prohibition, but a preparation of what's to come. What is God speaking to you in your heart right now? Are you reacting to all the bad things that are coming your way? Or are you seeing that God is actually trying to shape you into a better vessel for taking the word of God to other people who need to hear about his word? Sometimes we can all hear the same words, but we have different reactions and different responses. The Holy Spirit is giving a warning and he's either giving a warning as a heads up, here's what's about to come, or a head off this way. We have to decide how we actually understand how the Spirit speaks to us. How do you receive God's word? 
What you want, I believe, determines what you hear. If you want just pain-free, then you're going to get selective with your obedience to the Holy Spirit. If you want the kingdom of God, then you have to surrender. And surrender must precede suffering. Because once suffering comes your way, you'll find how much you actually do surrender to the Holy Spirit. When suffering comes your way, you'll start second-guessing. Wait a second, that word that I heard in the past, maybe that wasn't the right word. When I first came here, I, I knew when I was a child that I believed that God told me I was going to come to America. I believed that when I was five years old, and I remember telling my mother, because this American came up to me, gave me a dollar bill, and I took the dollar bill, went over to my mother, and I said, God's telling me I'm going to America. Five years old. Did God really speak to me? I don't know, but that's what I told my mother. And my mother said, well, that's nice, right? And here I am, 23 years later, or not 23 years later, minus five, that makes sense. 18 years later, when I was 23 years old, uh, Pastor Mark meets me in Scotland and said, would you like to come and work for me for a, for, for a few months? And I'm like, sure. And then it, one thing led to the next, year later, two years later, three years later, I married an American, which means I'm now stuck in America, and I've been here for 27 years, right? Right? So I'm still here, I'm, you're still stuck with me, but, but, but there was times when I just went, I think I'll go back to Scotland now. Why? Because it was getting tough. It was getting hard. I didn't, I didn't want to deal with this stuff. I didn't want to be a pastor. Oh, let me just go back. But I never got the permission from the Holy Spirit to go back. Why? Because his plan was always that I had to stay here. And so I then, as I was going along, I had to go through this process of surrendering to God to say, okay, God, I'll do it. Okay, God, I'll do it. But God, it's getting hard. Do you really, is this what my life is going to amount to? It's getting difficult. I don't know if I really want this to, to happen anymore. But I still had to go back but say, tell me, do you want me to stay or should I go? And every time I felt God say, no, stay. Paul chose to die to himself. How do you receive God's word? Do you panic or do you prepare? In Acts 20, verses 22 to 24, Paul goes on and he says this, and now, compelled by the Spirit. He didn't say, I've decided, I've come up with much advice from many people. He didn't say, I've calculated the right way forward. He just said, now, compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Wow, how many of you would be given up right there? You have to know what's coming before you, hold, you, 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 before you actually obey the Holy Spirit. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. If we're going to follow God's will for our lives, there's two things we're going to have to do. You're going to have to befriend the Holy Spirit because you can't do this by yourself. You have to know that you trust someone, not trust something. Because if you're going to trust that things are going to work out, you're going to find out they're not going to work out the way you want them to. But if you're trusting the Holy Spirit, then you're able to walk into a very difficult situation knowing that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to you. The second thing we'll have to do is that we must embrace that suffering is a part of walking and following after Jesus Christ. Let's stand this morning as we end our service. Holy Spirit, 
we want to apologize for not listening to you as much as we should do. We've read most of the book of Acts and maybe we have skipped over and not noticed how much this is not just about the acts of the disciples, this is about the acts of the Holy Spirit. And once again, we want to be in a conversation with you, in a relationship with you, to hear your direction in our lives, to hear your direction for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are so insignificant that we are just a thread in a tapestry. And yet you have decided to choose each and every one of us to be one of those threads to show the greater story of Jesus Christ to other people. And we pray, Father, this morning that for those of us who want to receive the Spirit that haven't been introduced to Him, I pray, Father, this morning that every person who wants to receive the Holy Spirit will actually be filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with Yourself. Take control and authority over every room of our house. That we don't just let you into our front door and into the lobby and into the living room, but we let you in our bedrooms, in our garages, in our messy closets, in our bathrooms, in our kitchen, in every area of our lives in our house. We just pray that you'd fill up every room with your spirit so that there's nothing kept or hidden from you. We ask this in your precious son's name. And all God's people said, Amen. May God bless you and keep you.